Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Broadcasting around the nation on your radio, on your TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Two more women come forward uh, with accusations against Roy Moore. That makes a total of nine. How many do you need before you believe them and don't believe that scumbag? Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Thursday, November 16? How good to see you today. You're looking good. Thanks for jumping on board here. It is the Bill Press Show, as always, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right here in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill. So good to see you today. We'll run you through all the news of the day, wherever it's happening. We are there with you, whether it's uh, Donald Trump uh, bragging about his Asia trip yesterday down at the White House, back at the White House. Uh, Still uh, reverberations about uh, Jeff Sessions' stunningly uh, unprepared and contradictory testimony. Uh, Really got pretty beat up in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, And, yes, Republicans in the House today expected uh, to pass their version of the uh, tax cut bill. Uh, Then it goes to the Senate, where already two senators have said, um, or three, actually, have said they could not vote for it, any bill, either the Senate bill or the House bill, in its current form. Uh, And, of course, if um, Roy Moore loses, uh, that means uh, Republicans will be one more short of being able to get that bill through the Senate. Lots and lots to talk about here. We want to hear from you. We'll tell you what's going on. You tell us what it means to you, what you think about it. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, when Barack Obama was president, he put a policy in place aimed at protecting endangered elephants that were targeted for ivory. In other words, if you go to hunt trophies like elephants, you're not allowed to bring the ivory back into the United States. Well, yesterday, the Trump administration announced that it will again allow hunters to oh, import God. the heads of elephants killed in two different African countries, including Zimbabwe back into the United States. Probably because that jerk of a son, son. Don Jr., wants to go kill an elephant. That son of his is a big trophy hunter. And so the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service confirmed the decision in a statement. 
saying that uh, the there had been a reversal in the policy at a forum in Africa. So, That's so disgusting. Well, yeah, it is the new normal, apparently, for Donald Trump, uh, just doing horrible, horrible things. Anything so, Barack Obama it, did? Exactly. Will undo. He's got to be against it. Uh, Kyle Froughton is a parent at Farmington High School in Utah. And Farmington High School, their mascot is the Phoenix. The Phoenix. So at sporting events, they were cheering, go Phoenixes. Although that's not the right pronunciation. That's not what the plural of Phoenix is. The plural of Phoenix is Phoenixes. Phoenixes. So Kyle Froughton, this parent, heard them shouting, Go penises. Go penises. <laughs> and so he has put oh, together, an, uh, he has put, I, I kid you not, he's put together a petition to change the name of the mascot for Farmington High School because he thought everybody was yelling, Go penises in the stands. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. If I were in that high school, that's what I would be hollering. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. I would have been shouting, go penises. Go penises. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go penises. So, no doubt. There you go. <laughs> and how about this? Yesterday in New York, a painting of Christ by Leonardo da Vinci set a record at an auction, smashing previous records for artworks that sold at auction or privately. It's the painting called Salvatore Mundi, which means, which is Latin, for Savior of, of the, the World. world. It is a painting of Christ by Leonardo da Vinci. It is the first painting, the only painting, which is going to go into private hands by Leonardo da Vinci. He only has 20 works that are uh, that are actually available. What's the top right? Four, yeah. seven, what was I got? I got it here somewhere. Four. Yeah, 450 million. Top over 50 million. Yeah, over 450 million. Yeah. I dropped out of 225. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I understand. You know, yeah. I told my, uh, my dealer, uh-uh, that's enough. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, Donald Trump says I had a spectacular visit to Asia. If you don't believe it, uh, just ask me. Well, uh, ask me uh, after I take this big sip of water here, holding the water bottle with both hands. God, what a joke. Hey, hello, everybody. Yeah, the joke's on us, I'm afraid. What do you say? Thursday, November 16. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C. That's our nation's capital. We're here with you on Capitol Hill to bring you all the news of the day, bring you up to date on everything that's going on, and uh, give you a chance to talk about it, too. Uh, as you join us on Twitter, at BP Show. Yes, indeed. And, uh, well, I want to start with a couple of, um, before we get jump into the news of the day, uh, a couple of tips one tip is, I want you to set your calendar, uh, take it from me, set your calendar for January 12th. You know, we all got the little smartphones, whatever, on your computer, or maybe you still have an old-fashioned pen and ink calendar. Uh, mark down January 12th, special day, PBS, the special program for the uh, Gershwin Awards of 2017. Uh, I went to the program last night, the taping of the program. Uh, with Tony Bennett as the winner this year. It's an incredible pro- program. You will love the program. The music is just great. They sing all the Gershwin songs and all the uh, Tony Bennett hits of 
his 91 years, 91 years old. He sang three songs yesterday to end the program, and they just brought the house down. Uh, Stevie Wonder's there, uh, and, and a lot of other. Lucas Nelson, Willie's son, whom I never heard before, uh, just uh, absolutely great. Uh, Steph, uh, Gloria Estevan, uh, great cast. So January 12th, the Gershwin Awards. Be sure to make it. Uh, and here's one for you. This is just another little tip. And my tip is um, we might as well give up, okay? I just want you to know, just want, you want, just give up. Peter, you know, we do everything we can, like um, put screens on the windows, you know. Uh, we put uh, little, sometimes those little, down the south we used to have those. I'm sure you did too, those for flies, those for fly paper things. Oh, fly you, paper, yeah, sure. You hang from this, you know, ceiling, the whole thing. Well, give up, give up. Okay. So I read in the New York Times yesterday, do you realize that for every person on Earth, there are 17 million flies? That can't be right. Scientists, really? For every person on Earth, 17 million flies. That sounds like a plague. Doesn't it? Says That's they, horrifying. They pollinate plants, consume decomposing bodies, eat the sl- sludge in your drain pipes, damage crops, spread disease, kill spiders and hunt dragonflies, and bother the hell out of us. <clears throat> 17 million flies. I so, don't like that. All I'm saying is that's a battle we're never going to win. <laughs> we might as well just accept it. The flies rule and give up. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who's not ruling these days, who's not doing so well these days. It is getting worse and worse for Roy Moore. Yes, indeed. And, and more and more bizarre. So two other women came forward yesterday. That makes now a total of nine uh, who have come forward uh, to, um, in fact, in the New York Times, it is four more women, a total of four on top of the five uh, who originally, there were originally four in the Washington Post. Uh, the other woman came out with uh, attorney Gloria Allred, and now four more, a total of nine women who have said that when they were teenagers, uh, maybe some even as old as 18, which is still a teenager, but the legal, legal age in Alabama, um, Roy Moore uh, pursued them, uh, in some cases actually sexually assaulted them, um, bugged them. The stories are just creepy. Uh, we would hang out at the Gazden Mall uh, every evening just trying to pick up young women, uh, to the extent that he was banned, banned from the local shopping mall. Uh, the one latest story is a girl said that he met her uh, somewhere, asked her where she went to school, uh, asked her out. She didn't want to go, asked her where she went to school. She told him uh, the next day she's in trigonometry class, and the principal comes and says, or somebody from the office comes and says, you've got a phone call. She goes to the office, and it's Roy Moore calling her at her high school uh, to ask her out again. I mean, how sick can you get? Getting to the point where even some of Roy Moore's defenders are starting to uh, run for the exit. Uh, Sean Hannity famously, of course, everybody that's accused of anything really, really sick, Sean Hannity's qu- the first to defend them, uh, as long as they're Trumpers, right? Um, but with the, in this case, Sean Hannity said, I'm starting to have second thoughts. We'll give him 24 hours. I'll give Roy Moore 24 hours. Uh, to produce the evidence to prove that these women are liars. Of course, Roy Moore hasn't produced any evidence, and Sean Hannity has left it at that. 
Uh, even Rush Limbaugh said, it looks like every, nobody's believing the creep anymore. And uh, the Drudge, Drudge Report uh, with a headline yesterday, Judge Whore, um, <laughs> throwing him for sure on the bus. I think the only person left on the national level defending him is Steve Bannon. Uh, and this, this, whole, this could be the end of the Steve Bannon effort uh, to take on establishment Republicans and unseat Mitch McConnell. Not that we have any uh, love for Mitch McConnell, uh, but uh, Steve Bannon going way bright and Breitbart going way, way, way out on the limb for Steve for Roy Moore. Uh, they're the on- just about the only ones left. Um, and yesterday, to show you how um, kind of desperate they are, Roy Moore sends his attorney out on MSNBC uh, to talk yesterday morning to uh, Ali Velshi and Stephanie Rule. Uh, and he he's done a little homework <clears throat> ahead of time, looking into Ali Velshi's background, and he uses uh, tries to use Ali's background, who's born in Kenya, raised in Canada, um, using Ali's background to point out that of course we should understand Roy Moore. This what a bizarre exchange. Culturally speaking, obviously there's differences. Looked up. Uh, Ali's background there, wow, that's awesome that you have got a such a diverse background. It's really cool to read through that. But point is this. What does you know, Ali's each culture background has a, have to do with dating a 14-year-old? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not finished with the context of it. Well, please but answer. Point what, is Ali's, what does Ali Velshi's background have to do with dating under children, 14-year-old girls? Sure. In other in other countries, there's arrangement through parents for what we would refer <laughs> to as oh, yeah. consensual marriage. So <laughs> Ali's from Canada. I understand that. And Al- Ali's also spent time in other countries, so of which I. I've gone to. So it's not a bad thing. I, I, don't, I so don't know where you're going with this, Trent. I don't know where you're going with this, I, I, yeah, this I don't know where you're going with this either, man. The best part of that, by the way, is when he... When, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not finished with the context of it. Well, uh, yeah, I, I need yeah, to put uh, those comments in context. In context, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. God, what, a, what an idiot. At any rate. So um, the, uh, the options, of course, for Republicans, by the way, so the Alabama Republican Party, <clears throat> man, I'm telling you, talk about backbone, talk about courage, right? The Alabama State Republican Party, the executive committee, they met last night to decide what they're going to do about this. And, of course, they came out and did nothing, basically standing behind Roy Moore. Uh, while uh, it's hard to define, find anybody in Washington, even in the Republican Party, who would defend Roy Moore these days. And... The National Republican Senate Campaign Committee, uh, which was supporting more, which had people on the field and was pumping money into Alabama, uh, has uh, uh, they've stopped sending any money. They're not going to send any more money. They pulled their field people out, those who were helping Roy Moore doing uh, uh, groundwork down there, get out the vote work. They pulled their field people out, uh, and they released a poll yesterday. So this is the Republican Senate Campaign Committee that did a poll right after the first five women came out and accused Roy Moore of sexual abuse and sexual molestation when they were teenagers. Uh, and the Republican Senate Campaign Committee released the results of that poll yesterday, which showed Democrat Doug Jones beating Roy Moore by 12 points, 51 to 39. Again, I repeat, this poll was released by the Republican Senate Campaign Committee. 
that's one way of uh, distancing distancing them distancing themselves uh, from Roy Moore. So Republicans really left with a mess. I mean, again, the only two options are well, three: let the election go along the way it is, and Doug Jones probably well, it looks more likely will win, or stage a write-in campaign to try, to, meaning they probably delay the election as well, a write-in campaign for whom? But for whom? Luther Strange? Bah, they already rejected him once. Jeff Sessions? I think it would be even hard for him to win now at this point uh, in a write-in campaign. Uh, the hard part with the write-in situation is no matter who you get, right? Like I think maybe Jeff Sessions is the only person who could win a write-in campaign in Alabama. Mm-hmm. But like you said, even now it's getting awfully late for, for that to happen. But no matter who they pick, they're going to take votes away from Roy Moore. So any write-in yeah, candidate right. at this point will essentially guarantee Doug Jones wins. Yeah, yeah. which is why I like the idea of a write-in <laughs> Yeah, campaign. right, right. right. Uh, and let me tell you something. Having run a, uh, a write-in campaign at one time uh, in, in Oregon for when Jerry Brown was running for governor president and was not on the ballot, there's a problem with the write-in campaign is you have to spell the name correctly. Now, we're talking <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> I'm sorry, Peter. It was bad enough uh, in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, but you're talking Alabama here, so uh, <laughs> it's harder, <laughs> easier said than Easier said than done. Well, down in Alabama, the name Roy has like four syllables in it. Roy. <laughs> all right. And the other thing, that, so then their other option is, all right, let it go. And if he is elected, just reject him and throw him out of the Senate, uh, which I think they could do. But that still would be an awful, awful mess. The last thing, the last thing they want and they'll never accept is uh, seating Roy Moore and then going into the 2018 midterm elections, having to uh, explain to voters across the country why they allowed this pervert to sit in their midst. Um, now it gets to the question of who could stop Roy Moore? Who could who could clean this whole thing up? There's only one person, really. And I'm not even sure he could do it. There's only one person, and that's Donald Trump, who, of course, was in Asia when this whole thing broke. And when they asked about it, he said, no, I'm, I'll deal with that when I get home. Okay, he's been home a little over 24 hours, 36 hours. No, not a word out of Donald Trump. Maybe. He was asked about it yesterday, and he oh, just ran know. from it. Yeah, you know, as he was finishing yeah. up his Perhaps, remarks about right. his Asian trip, sure. he just turned around and walked yeah, away. Threw a question to him, but he hasn't talked about it yet. Hasn't done anything. I mean, there are some. It would be tough again, but he could just first of all come out and say this man is unfit to sit in the Senate. The problem with that is Donald Trump is unfit after the Access Hollywood tape to sit where he is in the Oval Office. So, you know, yes, he should act. But I don't think he will because that's just going to open up all the story of his uh, own misdeeds, his own sexual assault, which he bragged about. And remember that Gloria Allred, the attorney representing one of these women, is also representing a woman who is suing Donald Trump. So the one person who could fix it all probably can't because of his own sordid past. Uh, And we'll see. We'll see if he says anything. I think he'll probably just try to run it up, ride it up, not say anything at all, and say that's up to the people of Alabama. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. You know, he th- there was a story that said Donald Trump faces a big question about Roy Moore. Like, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't want to deal with this. He's not going to deal with this. He doesn't like. 
He's not going to face this. He's not going to show leadership. He's not going to say the Republican Party is better than this. It's just not going to happen. Now, somebody pointed out that there there is a way that they could delay this election, which would mean that there'd be a better chance for Republicans no, no. getting yeah, somebody. The governor, like, could, governor could do that. And like maybe Donald that. Trump could lean on the governor to do he, that. But does Donald yep. Trump really care? No. 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 No is the no. answer. He doesn't no. care. Yeah. No. That's the real answer. Yeah, again, um, yesterday Donald Trump came back uh, from uh, Asia, and he, when he was there, he um, he promised the day he got back he was going to have a major, major announcement from the White House. It's going to be big, big time. In fact, um, Jeff Zeleny reported on CNN uh, that uh, aides were telling him they were actually in touch with the networks, uh, and they were demanding or asking for prime time to make a prime time address this is sort of what you do when you announce that you've gone to war, right? Or Barack Obama did this when he announced that uh, we had uh, the Navy SEALs had tracked down and, and killed Osama bin Laden. Uh, so Donald Trump, uh, the networks didn't give him the time because obviously he didn't have anything to say. Uh, instead, this major, major announcement was out uh, in the middle. It was a little speech that Donald Trump gave. In the middle of the afternoon from the diplomatic room yesterday, where what he wanted to do, he wanted to show the slides of his Asia trip. Pretty much. You know, <laughs> it's just like, isn't it terrible when your brother or your uncle or somebody comes back from some trip and they, they have to sit in their living room and watch all the damn slides? Here, right? we have 300 pictures from our vacation yeah. to Des Moines, mm-hmm. Iowa. Yeah. Now, we'll flip through them fast, but we know you want to see them all. And there's me in front of the Chamber of Commerce, right? right? right. <laughs> God, anyhow, that's what it was like. And Donald Trump saying, yeah, we had a fantastic trip. This was the most successful trip of any president in the history of the United States. And if you don't believe it, just ask me. This great respect showed very well our country is further evidence that America's renewed confidence and standing in the world has never been stronger than it is right now. No, we've never, never been stronger uh, than we are today. He was so eager to tell the story about his whole trip and all his success on the trip that he ran out of gas. I mean, he got so dehydrated, uh, he needed to drink water. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, you've got to watch. It's good, but Trump, water. Uh, and so he, he, we'll play the, the sound here for you, but you got to know. So he looks for the water and he doesn't see any. He says, oh, there's no water. And then somebody points out, no, it's on the other side of the podium, dummy. And then he sees it. So then it's, a, it's a, just a bottle of water. And he picks it up, a plastic bottle, unscrews the cap, and then with both hands. It's so weird. Both hands. I've never seen that before. It's like if you told it's, an alien, this is a bottle of water that we humans use to consume yeah, to right. hydrate ourselves. They would pick it up with both hands and mm-hmm. drink. It's so bizarre. Yeah, right. So here's what it sounded like. They don't have water. That's okay. Um, yeah. Yes, there is what? water. No, it's okay. Oh. No. oh, there it is. Oh, oh, he says, yeah. <laughs> he picks it up with both hands. And it, yeah. And the truth is the trip was a disaster. I mean, you know, all he did was alienate people, piss off people. All the other Asian nations, all 11 of them who were in the uh, trade deal that the United States put together, they went forward with a trade deal without the United States. Uh, he didn't make any success with, uh, with, with China. 
uh, and he managed to insult um, the uh, the uh, Kim Jong Un again, the leader of North Korea, because um, Kim Jong Un, somebody on the on the, in the North Korean government, referred to Donald Trump as old. So Donald Trump says, "Nah, take this. Now you're short and fat." All right. Great. Third grader, maybe first Great. grader. Not well, yeah, just about. Uh, meanwhile, I know you talked about this yesterday. I didn't have a chance. Uh, I was out up in uh, up in New York City, but Jeff Sessions, what a disastrous appearance in front of the House Judiciary Committee. You know, think about it. So here's the Attorney General of the United States. He's coming in front for an oversight hearing, and you'd think any other Attorney General would have done his homework or her homework. Uh, they know what questions are going to get asked. They would have prepared for this thing. He came in there just like a bozo, right? A totally unprepared, contradicted himself uh, right and left, uh, and made some stunning, I thought, admissions. His memory is on and off. It's, I mean, I've never seen anybody with, with such selective amnesia. So Jeff Sessions originally, remember, in the Senate, he told uh, Al Franken, and he has said this before, no. I never met with anybody, and nobody on the Trump team met with anybody. Well, then he remembered, then he was reminded, then he was forced to remember, oh, yes, you did talk to Ambassador Kislyak. And then he said, oh, no, yes, I did, but I was a senator then. I wasn't wearing my Trump campaign hat. I was wearing my senator hat. But I didn't remember that meeting. And then he gets in front of the House Judiciary Committee and he says, oh, I don't remember that meeting that well, but I do remember that we got in a big argument about Ukraine, and I told him how wrong they were about Ukraine. So he says he doesn't remember a meeting, then he doesn't remember a meeting, he doesn't remember anything about it, but then he remembers all about Ukraine. I mean, he has zero credibility left. Yeah. And the same thing with the George Papadopoulos thing. No, I never met him. They show him the picture where he's at the meeting, Donald Trump's the other end of the table, and Papadopoulos is right in the middle of it. And then he says, oh, once I read about in the newspaper that there was this meeting, then I remembered that meeting, but I didn't remember anything about it. And then he gets in front of the House Judiciary Committee and says, but the only thing I do remember is I, he said, he talked about Trump meeting with Putin, and I told him that was a really bad idea. I really pushed back on that. So, you know, his memory just pops up when it's convenient. Here and there, right? Remembers what he wants to remember. Selective amnesia. Zero credibility. And he's the attorney general. I mean, attorney that, 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 that general. I think is is important to point out because, like, yeah. look, sometimes these guys get caught in these type of lies, but not the attorney general of the United States. Now, I got to tell you, um, every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who says, hey, we met before. And I'll, you know, I'll just draw a blank, okay? But if I'm head of a... National Security Committee of a candidate for president of the United States. And a member of that committee comes up and says, hey, I met a guy, a professor. He can arrange a meeting between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And we're going to fly. Here's my idea. I'm going to put this together and we're going to fly Donald Trump candidate over to Europe to meet with Vladimir Putin. I think I'd remember that. And I said, no, that's a damn crazy idea. You're not going to do it. Do not do it. Do not pursue it. If that's what I said, I think that's that's something you'd remember. And if you don't remember it, you need to learn to take better notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, this is not 30 years ago. 
right? Right. This is last fall, right? right? This is like a year ago. It's it, it's crazy for us to believe that. And then, and then the worst is Jeff Sessions says, and he tried to shoot it down in the House Committee, but the day before he had released this letter, or that he made this announcement, where he's thinking calling a special counsel, a special counsel to look into. Guess what? Hillary Clinton's emails. Oh. That's good because, boy, there haven't been enough hearings on uh, Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah. Uh, to look into whether or not James Comey did the right thing when he found her uh, um, innocent of any wrongdoing comes to the emails. And then looking into the old Uranium One deal, which we have explained so many times is just a big nothing burger. PolitiFact looked into it, called it mostly false. Shep Smith, if you didn't see this, Google that. Chef Smith on Fox News, man. He went on for, what was it, eight or ten minutes, I think. It was a long sort of and tear where he methodically, methodically. spells yeah. out why this is all a BS. brilliant job, just as we've shown you, that this was a South African company, a Canadian company, n- nine total of 11 different government agencies approved this deal. Hillary Clinton was not even involved in it. I mean, everything they say about it is false. And Jeff Sessions suggesting, once again, maybe we need a special counsel for this. And the only thing I have to say about that is you have to put it in context to understand what's going on here. On November the 1st, Donald Trump told a reporter, radio reporter, I think it was Larry Johnston, I believe it's a show. It's sad, he said, it's sad that as president, I'm not allowed to, 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 uh, to be involved in the Justice Department or the FBI. I'm not allowed to do what I'd like to do at the FBI. He told a radio reporter that. The next morning at 6.37 a.m., he says, everybody's talking about why the Justice Department is not investigating crooked Hillary and the Democrats, why instead they're investigating me and the Russians. He did five tweets that day about the Justice Department should be investigating Hillary Clinton the crooked, crooked Hillary and the Dems, the old locker-up theme. Then Donald Trump goes to Asia for 12 days. The day before he is coming due to head back, his last day at Asia, Jeff Sessions announces, I'm thinking about appointing a special counsel to look into Hillary Clinton's emails and the Uranium One deal. I mean, you can almost hear Jeff Sessions say, How am I doing, boss? How am I doing? Do I get to keep my job now, boss? Yeah. You know what it is? It was CYA time. Cover your ass time all the way for Jeff Sessions. That's all it was about. What what a pathetic excuse uh, for an attorney general. Uh, We have the great Congressman Dan Kildee coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. Uh, I just got to maybe leave with with one other high note, and that is um, out in Oklahoma picked up another seat. Another Democratic seat and a red district for state Senate in Oklahoma. Allison Ickley Freeman, age 26, becomes uh, the first, uh, well, I think maybe the third openly gay person to be elected to the Oklahoma State Senate. But the point is, this is a uh, district again, the fourth one that we picked up now in Oklahoma. Red districts that Trump won and the organizations like Our Revolution and the DNC uh, and Emily's List are in there supporting these candidates, and we have four of them now elected in Oklahoma. Something is going on, folks. Yes, indeed. The blue wave continues to roll 
Congressman Dan Kildee joining us here on the Bill Press Show, Thursday, November 16. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is, and here we go on this Thursday, November 16th. So good to see you today. As we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., coming with you, uh, there with you, coast to coast on the radio and on television, on YouTube. Of course, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, so many of you, more and more of you every day, uh, joining us on YouTube and joining our podcast as well. Uh, anytime during the day, you can pick up the entire show or the highlights of the show uh, by going to BillPressShow.com. Also looking at you on Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT. You're looking good today as well. Uh, and uh, those of you who are watching and not just listening You'll notice a, a beautiful little swatch of purple and green and a little bit of brown in there, too, I guess, which is a hand-woven scarf I'm wearing this morning, a hand-woven by my wife, Carol Press. They are great. This is Rayon Chenille. It's a season for a scarf. Can't go out without one, uh, and you'll never get a more beautiful one than a Carol Press original scarf. A way to get one yourself or for someone you love is uh, go to your web, go to our website at Bill Press Show. Dot com and uh, get in touch with Carol. Lots of colors, lots of uh, patterns to choose from, uh, and each one a work of art and a work of love. There I always go. love when it gets cold outside because I'm reminded of the actual talent in the press family. I know. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it is uh, embarrassing. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the real talent in the family. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we are so pleased to welcome uh, back to the studio our good friend from Michigan's 5th District, Congressman Dan Kildee. Thank you. Gotta outfit you with a scarf here one of these days. Yeah, you know a scarf would go well. In Michigan, you need a scarf. Oh yeah, right. Starting in about late August. Uh, particularly if you go to the Upper Peninsula of That's Michigan, which I just visited, which you just did. Yes. A uh, little climate change going on there. The you know the climate is changing. The political climate is changing. Um, we had a special election in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in a state <laughs> representative district that was won by Donald Trump quite handily. I went up to to help out a state rep candidate, a member of the Marquette City Council, Sarah Cambenzi. She won by nine points. God, now, I would like to think I had something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. But the truth of the matter is, there's a movement out there, and there's a there's an anger and a frustration that you know we're used to having it directed at us. That's part of the problem. We can't. We don't even know how to handle this in some yeah. ways. Uh-huh. Right. This is serious, and the real question is, can we? Keep this momentum and make 2018 an election that restores some degree of uh, sanity to our government. But, you know, um, I, I didn't know about this uh, this seat in Michigan, but it is part of a pattern. I just mentioned before the break this uh, state Senate seat uh, we picked up oh, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Again, yeah. red Oklahoma, a red district, a district that Trump carried. That's the fourth, fourth flip. Seat that's flipped in Oklahoma. We've seen it in Georgia, Westchester County, New York. So I got on Virginia, the House of Delegates. I haven't checked lately, but it was 15 seats at least that Democrats picked. And up. you know, some of our Republican friends are in complete denial. I got on the elevator uh, the day after that Tuesday sweep, 
and a couple of my Republican colleagues, and they're they're you know they're sort of friendly. We we have a friendly relationship, yeah. and then uh, I said, hey, we had a good li- we had a good night last night, and I was just ribbing them a little bit, and they were saying, oh yeah, great, you won uh, two blue states, mm-hmm. and I said, no, it was bigger than that, and they said, well then how do you explain Utah? And I said, well, it's Utah. That's how I explain yeah, it. Right. I mean, th- so I don't think they're getting it. Uh, and fine. If they don't yeah, want to get it, don't get it. Good. Go good. vote for this dog of a tax bill. Go ahead. Knock yourselves out. I mean, this is, they're, they're on a path uh, that, that's unavoidable, I think, right. in some ways. All right. So um, the tax bill, j- just uh, procedurally, uh, it's a, today, is the vote today? Votes today. Votes today. Yep. And how's president's it? coming over to yeah, give them a little right. rah rah, and then they're going to march out and do what they're told. Right. Uh, and then the bill goes to the Senate. Right. Will it get out of the House? It will get out of the House. I. I mean, I have a hard time believing that it won't. Of course, you know, uh, you know, they seem very confident, uh, and so I'm. I'm suspecting that what they're going to do is allow, you know, as many of the New York. Uh, Republicans that are in marginal seats, same for others in, in say, California or New Jersey, to vote no. Let them vote no, but they're going to hold their whip tally pretty tight. This is a terrible piece of legislation, though, Bill. You know, I I mean, you can argue uh, flat and round when it comes to the corporate tax rate and all this that we need to do. Obviously, the tax code's uh, an issue that we ought to address. This ain't it. It's a terrible bill. No matter what your ideology is, it's a terrible bill. First of all, it's not tax reform. It's not, right. No, it's no. not reform. No, just a series of cuts. It's a massive shift uh, to the top 1%. It's called, uh, what is it called? Uh, HR1. Uh, it, you, know why, you know why it's HR1? Help the richest 1%. <laughs> That's what it is. It's terrible. Oh, that's good, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, there, and you know, this is one of those things where a lot of times we get wrapped around our axle because the details, you know. Yeah. But the details actually matter. I'll just give you an example. Before I came to Congress, I spent most of my career working on redevelopment in distressed communities, and we had these tools that were able uh, that allowed us, say, in Detroit or in Flint or in Buffalo. New market tax credits, brownfield tax credits for distressed, mm-hmm. uh, obsolete mm-hmm. property, historic tax credits to bring equity, private equity, into development in old cities. You know what they do? Gone. Oh, really? Gone. Yeah. yeah. So I watched on the floor yesterday. So instead, probably, but I'll, I'll bet you the oil and tax, oil and gas subsidies are still intact there. Intact and permanent. Yeah. So even the relief that's provided to families is temporary and small. The relief that is given to oil and gas exploration, big and permanent. So, you know, it's interesting. The Republicans have been pushing this because they say, look, 90% of Americans will be able to fill out their tax return on a postcard. Okay. Sounds good, right? Why will they be able to fill it out on a postcard? Because they won't need the space to deduct medical expenses. Mm -hmm. They don't need the space to deduct interest on student debt. They won't need the space to deduct the pencils and paper that teachers buy for their students because we're choking public education. 
there won't be a need for anything more than a postcard because that tax relief for middle-class Americans is gone. Now, I'll believe the Republicans are serious when they produce a tax bill that has ExxonMobil filing with a postcard. Yeah. When right. they get to file with a postcard <laughs> and pay their 20% or whatever the number it is, now we can have a conversation. When they pay any taxes at all, we'll probably yeah. be a step but forward. But they can't right? do theirs on a postcard yeah. because uh-huh. all that tax, they're, they're going to they're gonna have all those tax loopholes now applied to a 20% rate instead of a 35% rate. Well, so how can they, what is the argument for justifying making the corporate tax permanent? This is Orrin Hatch's new thing, the Senate new thing. I don't know whether it's in the House bill or not, but the yeah. senators are saying this is kind of... So the corp, the the big corporation tax cut, cutting the corporate tax rate is permanent, right? But any relief for the middle class expires in twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty three in the house. Twenty twenty three. Okay, so you get five years. Yeah, and they get a lifetime because they're depending on uh, un- the unfortunate reality that people tend to think short term, and they're looking at well, what do I get right now? What do I get right now? And the truth is. What any middle-class person gets is, is paltry. Many middle-class families will pay more. The idea that this is actually relief, and they keep using these yeah. averages. Right. Yeah. Give me, the, give me a break. The average includes people up, making up to $200,000. So where do you think the average actually skews towards people at the, at the upper end? But if you're a family, if, you are, if it's a family of four, that has anybody who has an intention of going to school and potentially borrowing money on a student loan maybe has the potential of a chronic illness. Maybe one of the kids oh, has diabetes. Yeah. Forget yeah, about it. Sure. Fasten your seatbelt. And you know what's it's really immoral about this? Is and Last night on the floor, I challenged uh, one of the Republicans and didn't get an answer. They kept saying after a member on the Democratic side got up, they would say, well, in a person in Flint, Michigan, the average family will get $1,200 of tax relief. You know what I want to know? Why don't they mention the $20,000 in new debt that that family is going to be handed, $20,000 that is going to be immediately shifted to a person who makes $100 million a year? So the idea that... F- some middle-class families might get relief. They're right. going to get relief on the credit card, and the credit card bill is going to them. This is a, this is a, you know we we we're, you, we're well, trained not to talk about redistribution, you know because right. they say that sounds like so, it's sounds socialist. No, this yeah. is this is redistribution. This was upward re- redistribution of wealth. This is concentration of wealth in the hands of people who already have the highest concentration of wealth. Since the Gilded Age. They want their Gilded Age back. And, and that's the, what this is all about. The other thing I keep hearing is um, the theory that if we just cut the corporate tax rate, therefore putting more money into these big corporations, they're going to use that to raise wages Doesn't, of ain't American workers. So Gary Cohn was speaking a couple of days ago. Uh, if it doesn't go to the workers, where is it going to go? Well, it's going to go into their pockets. Gary Cohn was speaking to a group of CEOs, mm-hmm. and the moderator said, and he was saying the CEOs, these are the people who are the cheerleaders because they're going to redeploy all this capital, and it's going to be this huge engine of the economy. And they asked these CEOs, 
So how many of you are going to, this is a room of 100 people, how many of you, How many would take this tax cut and plow it back into new invest in, investment in your company? Five hands. Mm. Even Gary Cohn said, where are the rest of the hands? I mean, they had a bit wow. of a moment of wow. truth. They thought they were amongst yeah. themselves. They had a moment of truth. <laughs> we know where this is going. Right. This is going to shareholders. Yeah. And this is going to the CEOs. They buy who, their stock back. There's, absolutely. The, the CEO gets a big, big bonus, and then the shareholders get the rest. Yeah. Right. And it's it, it does simple. not, yeah. I mean, as I saw someone pointed out, corporate profits are the highest they've been ever. And today. it's not like there's a lack of liquidity. There's money that's exactly. ready to be deployed. Exactly. So profits are high, there's a great deal of liquidity in the market. And what have they done about raising wages or increasing benefits? Bupkis. Exactly. Nothing. Yeah. So, so if you give them even more money, they're more likely to do it. It just doesn't doesn't add up. Okay. Now, the other thing that, of course, happened in the Senate is that they have decided. Oh no, uh, it's not enough to just pass the tax cut bill. Let's go back and bring that old Obama repeal back in right. and make that part of the mix. Right. Because- what is what does. Uh, doing away with the individual mandate due to Obamacare. To Obamacare, it it undermines health care because the people who will likely not seek health care are younger, healthier people. And so what that (laughs) means is that those uh, who really depend on health care and buy their health care either through their company or in the open market will pay higher premiums. So it's a shift of about $300 billion or so away from the affordability of health care in the marketplace to give it to the richest people. There's only, there's really two reasons, but one principal reason that they're doing this, they need the money yeah. because the people at the top are not satisfied and they've boxed themselves into a corner where they said they can only borrow $1.5 trillion to give money to the rich. They sort of gave themselves permission to do that. And their own bill can't get them there. And so they got to find more money. And they found it by saying, we're going to eliminate the, um, the individual mandate that will decrease the number of people who are getting premium support. That'll save $300 billion. Mm-hmm. And we can use that to give 80% of that benefit to the people at the very top of the economy. So that's immoral. Absolutely. They they so so many features of this I believe are immoral. So um we heard yesterday Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin says I can't vote for the bill either bill house or senate in its present form yeah. which leaves him an out of course. Uh Senator Corker from Tennessee said, I'm not a yes, I'm not a no. Right. Susan Collins said, there are parts of this bill I think are good. There are other parts that I think are really bad. Uh, what do you think the chances are that there will be a bill goes to the president's desk? I mean, um, one out of ten, is it an eight, a seven, a five? A- yeah, I mean, I think it's it's you know, 50-50 or less that they get this done, but I'm I'm worried about it. I, I think I think we got a real problem here because— Whatever they get done is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And for so many Republicans, and it's not all Republicans, but, you know, and I don't like to paint with a broad brush, but it is just a fact that when it comes to tax policy, tax cuts are their religion. This is not ideology. This is religion. And actually, they view it differently than than many of us do. I look at tax policy as a necessary tool in order to fund 
the essential elements of a civil, decent society. They look at tax policy as a question of how much money they can make sure they keep, and they keep in the hands of the people who are already enormously wealthy. So tax policy for them is the end goal in itself. For us, we think more of it as a necessary tool to provide the elements of a civil society. They don't think of it that way. Now, I remember uh, the phrase, I forget uh, who coined it, uh, that taxes taxes are how we pay for civilization. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, right, our roads, our water systems, sewer systems, you know, security systems right. across the board. And right? if you ask them, if you Fire could, departments, police departments. If, if they thought they could get away with taking the corporate rate to zero, they would do it. They would do it. They don't care about that stuff. They don't care. I mean, not everyone, but the folks who are driving this bus, they don't believe in this social contract that we entered into right. a couple centuries ago. You know, when you think about it, even the idea that their, uh, their, their argument for the individual mandate that that so that that helps us stay within this 1.5 trillion. These are the guys who have made a career of bragging about how fiscally responsible they are. It's right? just it's balanced budget amendment. Remember that whole hypocrisy. thing. Oh, yeah, it's, and now they they've rigged it so that they can get away with adding one and a half trillion dollars so here's to the, the debt and get a a pass pass on it. When Reagan's president, they write hot checks to make tax cuts and blow up the economy. Um, when Clinton's president, we have to have a balanced budget amendment. Mm-hmm. When Bush is president, we'll the, borrow $7 trillion to go to war that the American people don't want to support, no questions asked. When Obama's president, balanced budget amendment. And now Trump, he with hands so small that it takes two of them to hold a bottle of water. <laughs> Wasn't that the weirdest thing? <laughs> that was this the weirdest thing. This Listen, when you have to take lessons from Marco Rubio. Yeah about how to grab a drink of water. You're yeah, a klutz. That's okay. Right. Marco, yeah. was a, Mar, Mar, uh, Mar, uh, Marco was able to handle that bottle with one hand. I know, he did. <laughs> Someone put out a photo yesterday, a former, <laughs> former Obama staffer, of Barack Obama, drinking uh, what looked to be like a Mai Tai or some sort of situation when he was on vacation in Hawaii out of a giant coconut with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> You know, and it's so hard. I do try to resist the temptation to take a shot like that once in a while, but I can't resist sometimes. I know. You just I know. Let it go. I got to get it out of my system. That's well. This is a good place. to This do is. It. It's because a safe place. It is because we take cheap shots all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're you're among good people here. Yeah, and Peter, despite being smart and thoughtful, he's also demonstrating a certain amount of technical competence. He's in the booth. <laughs> He's in the booth. <laughs> Rarely do they let me in here. I know. Listen, we've got the fire extinguishers nearby. Just I in wish case. I hadn't mentioned it because we're all so nervous. We're just, uh, you know, I don't know. I wonder if we're actually on the air right now. Yeah, who knows? I'm enjoying it. I don't know if anybody else know. is hearing it. Jamie, where are you? We need you. Get back here. Um, are you in the uh, Senate House Judiciary Committee? I don't know with you. No, I'm not. So on you did But I watched that you didn't get hearing. The what? It was great. Train wreck. Huh? It, I mean, it was terrible for them. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But like my one of my close friends in the house is Hakeem Jeffries, who just took him oh. apart. Oh. David Cicilline, same yeah. thing, took him apart. 
And Ted Lou, Ted Lou. Oh. But, they, but he, you know, the problem is the guy walks in there. You'd think he'd get himself kind of ready for this. Thing. That's what I point I made earlier. Yeah, I mean, they do a little preparation. They know what questions are going to. They can figure out the questions they're going to get asked. Not yeah. good. No, uh, you know, and and how he doesn't remember anything at all, and yet he remembers in great detail. That I told him Ukraine was not a good idea, or that I told him, no, you can't have that meeting with Putin and Russia. But before then, it was like we never had any conversations at all about Russia. Well, and you can tell he was irritated when uh, uh, when uh, Hakeem uh, Jeffries uh, pointed out that he had prosecuted a police officer, or I think it was a police officer, or a young person anyway, for failing to remember something and then later recalling it because it was intentional uh, failure to recall. Which, obviously, that's what we see with him right now. It's either poetic or ironic that that came up again. Yeah, that's yeah, remarkable. Right. So what this country needs, Congressman, is another special counsel. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. To um, Maybe we ought to look into those uh, Hillary Clinton emails. Yeah. Or that Uranium One deal. That, Uranium One. How many one. times can you shoot that thing down? I, right? mean, I mean, maybe a special counsel on Pearl Harbor. I mean, <laughs> I mean these guys... They are the masters of deflection. You know they're in trouble when they start talking about Hillary Clinton again. You know they got a real problem and that, and that we're getting close to zeroing in on a serious issue when suddenly we got to go back to talking about Hillary. Yeah. You, that's a very good point. You know they're feeling the heat no matter how many times Donald Trump keeps calling it a witch hunt. If he weren't feeling the heat, he would not be trying to change the focus every day to Hillary Clinton. And, in the, and the right is, 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 unfortunately, they're falling apart, too, because I think it was Shepard Smith who did a fairly deep oh, dive on oh. this and came back and said, there's no there there. No, Shep Smith was brilliant. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, and, and, but, but there are enough people out there, uh, like, so it's a Jordan, Jordan, uh, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. Oh, yeah. Jim, Jim Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Jim Jordan. Yeah. yeah. This is their whole, it's all they believe in. On the Democratic side, there was a little action uh, yesterday. Uh, your colleague Steve Cohen from Tennessee uh, introduced, we've talked about this a little before, but it came became more real yesterday, articles of impeachment. Here's Congressman Cohen on the floor yesterday. The Democratic base needs to know there are members of Congress who are willing to stand up against this president and do bring, bring impeachment charges and continue to bring light to illegal conduct that's taking place and threatening our country. Uh, is this the time? Do we know enough to proceed with uh, impeachment charges? The take that I, I'm sticking with is that uh, I have great confidence in, in Mr. Mueller and his investigation, and we are going to learn a lot. I think it's important that we keep open every option, but that we not get ahead of ourselves. Because I think the possibility is that if the moment does occur— where we actually have facts in front of us that would justify this, to have it cast as just a, a, a purely political initiative, I think is a, is a potential uh, mistake. Um, look, this guy's unfit for office. I don't have any doubt about that. There's something dramatically wrong with him, but I want to follow um, precedent and follow the law and be more cautious about this and do it if if it comes to this and i i really want to not prejudge it we got to do this right we got to we got to do it right you know, and and i'm not in the other thing i'm not interested in another noble defeat you yeah, know as democrats right. sometimes we we fall in love with noble defeat <laughs> and I'm no not, i'm good not point. interested in it
But, you know, I remember when uh, Bill Clinton was elected, um, Bob Barr from Georgia yep. filed articles of impeachment like the day after Bill Clinton was sworn in. Right. And that, that, just simply because he was there, you right. know. And we all said at the time, this is absurd. I mean, you know, now it, we, we got to be It was absurd to impeach him later for what they did impeach him for, too. Right. But, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I mean, it doesn't mean you are a Trump supporter if you just say, let's let things just play out. Let it play out. Yeah. All right. Congressman, great to see you. Good to see as you. always. Thank all right. You. And uh, thanks for the good news from uh, the Upper Peninsula of Georgia. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Patrick Tucker from uh, Defense One, all about the Russian investigation. Great to see you, Congressman. Thanks this for coming in. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go. Hour number two, the Bill Press Show, Thursday, November 16. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. And thanks for being part of the program, uh, whether you're uh, listening or watching. Uh, we got a lot to tell you about. Lots of news happening uh, here in Washington, around the country, around the globe. We'll bring you up to date. Uh, and... Um, we have now four more, according to the New York Times. Four more women have come forward with charges against uh, of sexual abuse against uh, Roy Moore. That makes a total of nine. How many? How many have to uh, speak out before Donald Trump speaks out and uh, takes a stand and maybe suggests that Roy Moore is not best for the Republican Party? So much so far, nothing but silence from the sexual predator in the White House. Uh, again, you know how to do it. If you want to uh, comment on any of the news of the day, send us your comments on Twitter, at uh, BP Show. We'll take a look at the latest uh, on Roy Moore. Also, uh, the latest fallout from Jeff Sessions' testimony in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Committee. And what's happening with uh, Donald Trump? Trump Jr. and WikiLeaks and the whole Russian investigation. Patrick Tucker covers that stuff for uh, Defense One, joins us in studio. Hey, Patrick, good to see you. Hey, good to see you, too. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Ready, yeah. ready to go? Fascinating stuff. Oh, this. my God. Yeah. It's so frustrating, too. It's so frustrating because I was covering, I was like doing a little investigation into the most recent WikiLeaks dump, but approaching it from a completely different angle because they just released... Um, what they purport to be another batch of uh, highly volatile CIA hacking tools. This is called Vault 8. <coughs> uh -huh. A lot of members of the cybersecurity community are, are kind of concerned about them. The CIA, of course, can't confirm or deny that they are legitimate hacking tools. They use uh, active directory passwords, et cetera. It's all very high-level stuff, very volatile. In the meantime, like, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to figure out what's real, who's going to confirm, you know, the presence of these exquisite and very exotic, very difficult uh -huh. cybersecurity tools. In the meantime, they're, like, having this chat with Donald Trump Jr. that just looks so 
ridiculous and amateurish. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is not uh, freaking uh, James Bond stuff. This is, <laughs> uh, all right. It's, it's so gr- silly. That's a great little tease. Yeah. We want to hear more about it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other quick stories making news. Bill, have you played Cards Against Humanity? You ever uh, heard of this game? No, I no, I haven't, but right. I know the company. All right, yeah. well, they, they have a card game that a lot of uh, grown-ups play because it can be a little raunchy for kids, but it's an irreverent card game that uh, a lot of people have fun with. Well, they are known for their holiday promotions, and one of their holiday promotions this year is that you could contribute to buy a piece of land on the Mexico-United States border, and the sole purpose is to block President Trump from building his wall. They were (laughs) offering $15 gift package purchases for this uh, for this uh, endeavor, and they're they have bought this property. They have bought this piece of land, and they said that the name of this is Cards Against Humanity Saves America, <laughs> and they're going to try and actually stop it. The uh, company put on their website, "quote Donald Trump is a preposterous golem who is afraid of Mexicans." But he is so afraid that he wants to build a $20 billion wall that everybody knows will accomplish nothing. So we've purchased a plot of vacant land on the border and retained a law firm specializing in eminent domain to make it a time consu- make it as time-consuming and as and expensive as possible for the wall to get built. So they are really trying to stick it to Trump with this. It's funny, but it also raises a real issue. There's a lot of private property along that border. Oh, yeah. A lot of ranchers there who don't like this idea of a wall and are not necessarily going to you know, just sell their property well, or give it away. What I found so interesting about this is not only the that they bought the land, but that they have hired attorneys who right. specialize in these eminent domain cases. And they're, they're just saying, like, look, maybe it doesn't work out in the end, but we're going to make it as difficult and as much of a pain in the ass as possible for Donald Trump to make this happen. Uh, we also learned from Colin O'Mara from the National Wildlife Federation the other day about all the valuable wetlands that are there, too, which uh, created another whole problem. This wall will never be built. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Four more women coming forward uh, with uh, accusations of sexual abuse, sexual assault, in some cases against Roy Moore, still the Republican Senate candidate from uh, Alabama. has gotten so bad that uh, even some of his buddies like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh and Matt Drudge are running away from him. But Steve Bannon. Still standing behind Roy Moore. May they go down together. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today. On a Thursday, Thursday, November 16, it is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh, here with you coast to coast. We start out in D.C., but there we're in, we end up alongside of you wherever you are, coast to coast in this great land of ours, uh, watching us on you, joining us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV or on WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. And with us in studio, Patrick Tucker, technology editor at Defense One. It's DefenseOne.com. Again, Patrick, good to see you. So um, with all of these denials about any contact at all between anybody in, uh, in the Trump team and Russia, 
uh, uh, you know, shoes drop every day, every, yeah. it seems, everywhere you turn. Right. Uh, and the latest uh, is Donald Jr. and WikiLeaks. Right, right. Okay. So in the middle of this campaign, right, when um, there are questions about what context they might be having where mm-hmm. WikiLeaks is releasing these emails from the that that the Russians had hacked from the DNC. Right, right. Uh, he gets a message from WikiLeaks, and he's responding. He's yeah. corresponding with them. Oh yeah, no, he gets he gets a message, and he says, uh, um, <clears throat> "It's a message that says, hey, you might want to look into who's running this um, <clears throat> anti-Trump pack." And he says, "Off the record, I'm going to look into that. Thanks." And then he starts getting some tips, basically from Roger Stone. Um, so Roger Stone, the Trump administration guy who first contacted WikiLeaks, who got in touch with WikiLeaks and had like a little back and forth uh, uh, exchange with them, kind of an exchange of information. At this point, it's well known to uh, the intelligence community and frankly to everybody else because of uh, public cybersecurity reporting on this, that everything that WikiLeaks was putting out related to the DNC and to John Podesta in particular had come from Russia. This is well established as of uh, basically... uh, uh, June, when uh, CrowdStrike first began to talk really about... Really that early? Yeah, yeah. July, July 23rd, as soon as that uh, first dump hits uh, WikiLeaks, then uh, the response around the world is, uh, we know exactly where this comes from. Front page New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, round the clock on the news. Thank you very much. Uh, everybody knows where this comes from because these guys have this really well-established pattern. Uh, This is the same crew that uh, hacked the Pentagon's uh, non-classified email network, which I covered and a lot of other people covered. This is like a known entity. So as soon as uh, CrowdStrike says, here's how we know that these are the guys that hacked the DNC, uh, a whole bunch of cybersecurity reporters were reporting on it, but when it shows up on the front page of WikiLeaks, then everybody knows. So that's established as far back as uh, July, the second that they dumped this stuff, and the yeah. actual hack of the DNC uh, much earlier. So there's no uh, plausible deniability here that he could have not known that was the case, especially since the intelligence community came out in October and said, uh, what everybody had already been reporting, right. this comes from Russia. So, uh, yeah, to continue with that uh, exchange after that that fact and say, hey, what's this about this new leak that's coming out on, on Wednesday, which is a fascinating thing that uh, Donald Trump Jr. tweets to WikiLeaks in the beginning of October and then gets a response from WikiLeaks on October 12th, um, not quite a response to that question, but basically saying the same thing, Hey, here's some information that you is going to help your campaign. Tweet it out. Yeah. Fifteen minutes later, it comes out of Donald Trump's Twitter. This is uh, well, not incredible. Donald Trump Jr. But Donald, Donald Trump, Trump Senior. Yes, yes, exactly. It comes from. So clearly, the he takes this to his father and says, "I just got this. This is really hot. You got to tweet it out." Mm-hmm. And his father does. Right. Right. So I mean, what? So right. Is Donald Trump Jr. just dumb? Uh, I can answer that. <laughs> I can answer that. The answer is yes. Yeah. It, well, this is or naive. Or, uh, I mean, I'm trying to what? Well, far far be it from me to uh, speculate as to the mental acuity of uh, the son of the president of the United States. But I tell you what, what this does show is an incredible willingness to collude. 
And it doesn't show, here's the thing though, because now we're gonna have to talk about like, what does this mean in terms of uh, proving collusion? And it's, as, as we all know, it's such a huge concept, so slippery and, and filing a charge against someone, making a legal reality uh, requires a certain precision of terms. Um, so is this collusion is the big question. Uh, and at this point, it's sort of, uh, it's very hard to say that this is uh, a act of collusion that would be legally significant or relevant in any way. But the only reason it's not is because the thing that WikiLeaks gave Donald Trump, it was a, a page that they had already published. So it, you couldn't describe it as a uh -huh. contribution in kind from a foreign entity, which is illegal under campaign finance, because right. it's hard to say that uh, something that's already been published has material to, in, on the open web has any material value and would therefore count as a contribution. Does it at least mean that Donald Trump Jr. will be a focus at some point, if not already, of Robert Mueller's investigation? Well, there's uh, so this is information that he turned over to the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee. Uh, he probably has uh, talked to Robert Mueller. Uh, the level of his, you think so? Do you think Mueller's already interviewed him? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, well, Mueller hasn't been reported. Yeah, I, I believe that uh, he ha probably has talked to Donald Trump Jr. And, and he might have because Don, Robert Mueller now is talking to absolutely everybody, and that's the whole thing. That's what's so sort of frustrating. Has he talked about. to Kushner? This I do not know. This I do not know. And I only I only have like sort of third hand that he's uh, talked to Donald Trump Jr. But I don't have anything from that to report because uh, he's talking to absolutely everybody. It's this incredibly expansive um, <clears throat> investigation where you, you talk to everybody. And so what's so frustrating about so much of the way it's been covered is that every conversation is treated as uh, incredibly significant when in fact it's actually just sort of due process and an investigation of this type and of this scope. You'll be having conversations potentially for years with absolutely everybody. What do you know about his conversations with or the, the standing of Michael Flynn and his son? Oh, I know. This is, a, this is an interesting <laughs> one too. So, <laughs> so um, the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago said that uh, they had they had the goods on both of them, um, yeah. maybe more on the son than on the father. Yeah. And then some people said that that had been leaked by Mueller. Mm -hmm. There have been very few leaks from the Mueller. The, the Mueller's Mueller. I mean, aren't leaking. The yeah. George Papadopoulos thing, I, I'm still I know. stunned that they were able to keep that a secret in this town yeah. as long as they did. It is an airport pickup where he gets scooped up yes. out of the airport yes. when he lands and, and they don't... Yeah, they Nuts. pick him up and they have a hearing yeah. where he pleads guilty and none of us knew about it. It's unheard of. Can, can you imagine if you were like a low-level celebrity in L.A.? Like TMZ would be all over the airport being like, what just happened? Like somehow like we just <laughs> got to catch up, guys. It would not know. have escaped TMZ. I know, I know. Right. So, uh, so, so uh, people, the speculation was that this had been leaked, the Michael Flynn stuff, by the Mueller campaign to put pressure on Flynn to cooperate, right? Well, what, what do you? What's your take? So I've I've been following the Flynn stuff for a long time. I, I um, I met the guy and uh, back oh. in September, a long long time ago. It's strange, intense bird like stares. All I can really say about him as a, on, on a personal, interpersonal <laughs> he does level, have sort of a beak like a he, know, uh, yeah, man like does not. Hawk. He will yeah. not blink. It's like he's looking right through you. Anyway, right. so uh, back in <laughs> back in September, he begins to make a series of uh, really like almost ridiculous, unforced errors. First, reporting that his intelligence group, his weird side gig, and it's uh, so much of this is about his like side hustle doing like um, bizarro black hat consulting work for weird dictators. He first reveals that his side gig, like the kid, in, right. like kidnapping uh, <laughs> right. so rabbis or whatever. <laughs> right. 
So he first reveals in, in September that uh, he's got a gig uh, doing a little bit of consulting work for Turkey. This is comes out from Legistorm, which is this really great uh, outfit that just sort of tracks congressional goings on and things like FARA filings, just uh, paperwork that gets lost in the shuffle. Um, and later on, right after Election Day, it turns out that he writes this huge op-ed basically saying Erdogan is a great ally of the United States, and man, do we have to go get this fellow, this, uh, you know, Gulen guy that's living in Pennsylvania. We got to go get him, like, stat. This, these two things awaken the FBI yeah. uh, to Michael Flynn being kind of a shady dude. And uh, reporting comes out saying Michael Flynn, uh, his intel group does work for Turkey on the side, and he just wrote this op-ed, and that's shady. The, uh, good, good post from the Daily Caller on that. And I was... Uh, very jealous because I was like very close to filing that too because mm. it was all over town. It's just like mm. here's the public mm. reports on them. Here's their weird uh, op-ed that comes out. After all that comes out in October, he still takes a breakfast meeting with a bunch of members of uh, sort of Turkey's elite. And here's the weird part. This is how Wall Street Journal gets it. Robert James Woolsey, former CIA director, and by every account, a real stand-up guy. He's, you know, not like on my side politically, but a, a really stand-up guy. And at this breakfast, they talk about this ridiculous black hat op that they want to do where he and his kid are going to just go on up there and, you know, grab this guy and put him in a sack and do, like, extra rendition back. Like, he and his kid, <laughs> yeah. you know, or get it like like a fun project, you know, that yeah. you undertake if you're, like, a bizarro going Boy Scout. to kidnap him right. and take him back to Turkey. Right. And, and Robert James Woolsey's in the in the breakfast with, with them. And he hears this and he's he's like, no, I'm not down with this. This is you can't. This is a terrible idea. They were talking about this somewhat seriously. And this is where we're going to, you know, how much trouble Flynn and Junior are in is how seriously they were talking about it. How seriously can you prove their intention, uh, whether or not they received uh, upwards of perhaps half a million dollars from Turkish government insiders. It's not quite the Turkish government, but it's a bunch of guys that actually are in the higher levels of Turkish government. So it's a little bit laundered, but still very traceable back to, you know, the players within the Erdogan regime um, and, and, and what exactly they agreed to do. But it's uh, that again, it's this it's this thing where we constantly expect some level of uh, intrigue, of conspiracy, of just, you know, diabolical intent that's on the level of like James Bond view to a kill. And instead we get James Bond like octopusy, you know, <laughs> like like the, the weird, stupid one where the bad guys are literally yeah. <laughs> like clowns. Like <laughs> that's kind of what we're dealing with now. It's, it's not a conspiracy that. Uh, lives up to our expectations. All right. It's now, so even sad. if they prove all of that stuff about Michael Flynn, it's just like, to me, the stuff that they got Manafort and Gates on. That does not add up to <clears throat> Donald Trump collusion Russia. Right. Does well, it's, it? It, it, it? And that's the whole thing. Collusion is... Uh, we have a, a understanding of it in popular culture in terms of something that's going to be legally significant and relevant. The terms have to be precise, and you have to have right. taken contributions. Are, you have to have made a promise, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there's also this question of Flynn having this conversation with Sergey Kislyak 
uh, about yes. a, pre, a quid pro quo involving sanctions, involving uh, sanctions that the Obama administration put on the Russians in December. And as soon as they're announced, Flynn has a series of urgent Trump Tower uh, calls with Sergei Kislyak. And, and the reporting suggests that he basically walked all that back. He, he said, we, we, don't worry, once we get in there, we're yeah. going to walk all this back. That can be... Uh, right. That's something that might be legally significant. Yeah, that significant. is. But I'm right. saying the, the kidnapping of this cleric or whatever, this right. guy who, that the Erdogan's right. uh, avowed enemy. Right. So um, that, 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 again, gets back to, uh, well, gets me to uh, Jeff Sessions, mm-hmm. who also has a selective memory or selective amnesia when it comes to meetings with Russians. At first, there weren't any. Then there were any he was involved in, and then right. all of that changes. And then there are meetings, but he didn't remember them. Then he does remember them when he reads about them in the newspaper. I know. But he doesn't remember anything. And then he does remember uh, telling Papadopoulos, no, you can't set up a meeting with the- right. don't, don't you think, you know, we all forget things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can forget where I left my glasses. I, yeah. I do twice a day. but. Uh, if somebody came to you, you're the you're the national head of the national security team mm-hmm. for a candidate running for president of the United States. By this time, who's the nominee? Yeah, and says, I want to, I want, I want him, Donald Trump, to fly to Europe. I'm setting this meeting up to meet with Vladimir Putin. And you say, No, that's a dumb idea. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something you'd remember? Not if, apparently not if you're you're Jeff Sessions. I'm not sure. <laughs> he's got this like Benjamin Button memory. Like he just the more you remind him of stuff, he's like, oh, that's right. I did have a conversation with that staffer that one time who said that he wanted Donald Trump to fly to. That's right. Oh, I totally like spaced that out. Like what else was he looking at? You know, you sort of wonder. So clearly, this is all. Um, not quite the truth. When he says that he can't remember things, he's thinking in terms of what can be. I, uh, my uh, uh, take on it is. He's thinking in terms of what can be actually proven and uh, using forgetfulness as a very malleable defense because you can never prove that someone isn't forgetting something. He so, always says, to the best of my recollection, right. or something. He throws that phrase out right. there, right? So I think that like what's what's in, important about this is, in many ways, is that it sort of also reveals a lot about Jeff Sessions as a person who is someone who's really squishy with truth and with accountability. And that's... I don't know. I, on a personal level, that's not something I'm comfortable with in, uh, you know, United States Attorney General. Because it, it, yeah. it's bad enough with anybody, with the Attorney General of the United States. Right. You sort of expect a little more. Right. Right. Exactly. And and this suggests someone that uh, is very uh, easy to bend to uh, pressure, depending on where it comes from. Uh, and it's not it, – what it reveals about character, I think, is is at this point sort of what's most significant. But it also shows that um, you have perhaps uh, some some perjury, legitimate, like, questions about perjury that can be pursued. We don't know the outcome of that, but uh, uh, if you wanted to make a, a series of cases of, well, here you are perjuring yourself, then that's something that you could possibly do because he can't yeah. invoke – uh, forgetfulness all the time, consistently, in a way that shields him from uh, various inaccuracies that he's he's basically testified. Mm-hmm. That seems like he should know better. Uh, yesterday, uh, pa- uh, I'm sorry, Patrick Tucker is with us with Defense One, DefenseOne.com. So yesterday, President Obama, uh, President Obama, I wish, I wish, Jesus, President Trump came out and said, uh, um, I had such a great. And he had such a great trip to Asia. It was the, the most spectacularly <laughs> successful yeah, foreign trip of right. any president in history. It was amazing. Um, 
what he didn't mention is the highlight of the Asian trip, as far as I'm concerned, is that um, he and Putin had a little talk, and uh, Putin says, no, I, we didn't interfere in your election at all. And Donald Trump said, hey, he seems sincere. I believe him. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, and, and that's another issue, too. Yeah. Not only. So first he the next day he kind after he gets uniformly sort of screamed at and the CIA, Mike Pompeo, who uh, is an established political ally of Donald Trump, has to come out and say, our intelligence assessment is in line with every other intelligence assessment, which is that there was very yeah. clear Kremlin led meddling in the 2016 election. Donald Trump made this sort of half-hearted walk back and said, yeah. which is sort of unreported, but because it, he's not earnest about it. Uh, but he has this half-hearted walk back and says, I'm with our intelligence agencies. When he says this As thing, presently constituted. As presently constituted. Me that's right. right. Meaning with the stooges that I put in charge That's right. Of right. right exactly. Right. But, so, so the question I want to ask, though, is to this point, to my knowledge, and you, you report on this every day, mm. to this point, to my knowledge, Donald Trump has not condemned Russia— for meddling in uh, the 2016 presidential election, even though the evidence is overwhelming that they did. Isn't Absol that correct? That is absolutely correct. And you know what else is... Uh, that, that is stunning to me. I don't care who won or who lost. Yeah. I mean, stunning. Yeah. Right? And it's also something uh, that is... <laughs> I do is, care who won right, and who lost, right. but you know what I mean. <laughs> it, it, and it's, it's uh, a point of incredible frustration for U.S. intelligence leaders. Mike Rogers, Admiral Mike Rogers, the head of the NSA... Um, uh, Jay Clapper. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan Coates hasn't been quite as vocal about it in testimony, but there was a moment where uh, Admiral Rogers and uh, <coughs> James Clapper, without invoking Trump's name, because that would be uh, very politically uncomfortable for them, but in public testimony, basically, they're asked, how important is it that we condemn Russian meddling activity? And they both say, a former uh, intelligence director and a current sitting uh, intelligence director under, under Mike Rogers, they both say, it is so vital. It it is so important that you call this out, that you condemn it, that you say that you then you decrease the effectiveness of that entire operation. And the way you really decrease it is you uh, say it as soon as it's happened. Yeah. And that way you delegitimize the value of stolen or purloined or exfiltrated data. It's so important to call it out. And they can't say it's so important for the president to call it out. But that's what they mean. That's where this actually happens. If you And, and the other consensus among the intelligence community is this will continue. This will absolutely continue. Look to uh, the elections in Mexico. Certainly yeah. look to 2018. Without a firm statement from a unified government saying that this is absolutely unacceptable behavior, we will uh, fight this in, uh, on every level that we can, we will not allow it, then you have to expect the continuance of the undermining of our democratic process. Right. And what, what percentage or, or, or how big a part of their role were WikiLeaks, uh, not, not Wiki, um, Google, um, you know, Facebook and, Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Uh, well, they don't want to. This is something that's also a, a point of great, great tension within them. They, you have to think about all the way these companies were created. It's basically a handful of very smart kids get together in Silicon Valley in the aughts, uh, come up with some with some math, figure out how to create, uh, and because. In 2007, everyone's walking around with a computer in their pocket. 
figure out how to get millions of users for a service that they spent actually very little time creating, and then they let the whole thing run on autopilot. That's kind mm-hmm. of the thing that's that's what Silicon Valley actually is, is currently constituted. Stuff made by teenagers in the aughts that they created 10 years ago and now basically runs on autopilot. And now the stuff is beginning to break down. Like, we're realizing that it has national security significance and that foreign intelligence operators are able to use it in a way to affect political outcomes. And so it's not that they they would really prefer to be apolitical. In fact, they'd really prefer to just sort yeah. of uh, not do any management at all, which is why they don't want to have too many employees, you know. So uh, they have, there's this huge sort of uh, crisis right now within Silicon Valley about who, but, but what do we sit, do about this? How do we change? for people who want to come in and, right. and take over their processes, right. like, like the Russians. But the, the, the intelligence that the Russians had, again, I find it's overwhelming that they knew where to go, mm-hmm. what groups to target, how to target them. They spent yeah. relatively very little money to reach gazillions of people. Right. Well, that's because— With you know, ads yeah. that were sort of clever enough that you didn't know who was behind them. Yeah. Well, you have to create very little social media data for you to be an effective target for, a, for an ad campaign. That's the, that's the genius of this, of this model that Facebook has created, Facebook in particular, but also so, to a certain extent Twitter. So what protections are in there to prevent that happening again? Well, Warner's got a bill out now called the Ads Fair Ads Bill, and and uh, that's something that uh, they, the Silicon Valley groups, Facebook and many others, are uh, now throwing money to lobby against, or to affect, or to change, or to modify in a way that's, you know, um, better for them. But uh, in terms of uh, uh, like actually standing up some sort of defense against this in the future, uh, it really kind of lies in. The cybersecurity and the intelligence community and their willingness to do something that they didn't do in 2016. But are there people in here, in there? I mean, look, you know, I, I, my, my career is in television, right? I right. know in every station I've ever worked on, every network I've worked on, there are people who scrutinize ads that are come in. They don't just run anything that – put anything on the air that somebody walks in the door and hands them a tape and said, here's our ad and yeah. here's our money, right? Uh, is there anybody like that in the um, – in, in the in, in the Silicon Valley, there. Uh, that's I, well. To, then, if I just finish okay. with to ask Al Franken's famous question, yeah. When they pay in rubles, doesn't that maybe indicate where they came from? Well, that's but that's the thing. This is these are machines. They're set up to be machines. You uh, stick uh, certain targeted ads in front of a gazillion people. And, that, and the machine runs itself. There, like the management has been absent. That's the beauty of these things, and it's it's starting to come back. I think that Google takes this very seriously, and their uh, level of involvement or blame, if you will, is actually the lowest. Facebook takes this uh, somewhat seriously enough to lobby about it and to uh, make public statements about things that they're going to do better, and probably and and they also have a, a better sort of handle on their user base and how their user base interacts. They've actually been very good at getting extremist messaging off the site. Twitter's in the weeds. Yeah. Twitter's just 100% oh, wow. in the weeds on this, and now, they won't admit it. Now, we also know um, that this was happening, the White House was aware that this was happening during the campaign. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Obama say more about it, or should he have? Absolutely. And that's, that's where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, here's where we're at. July 23rd, Everybody in the cybersecurity community knows that the stuff that just happened, like showed up on WikiLeaks, was stolen by the Russians. Everybody knows that. Now imagine what would happen if on July 24th, the, uh, Barack Obama took to the podium and said, I've just talked to all of our intelligence heads, and this is something that I have to yeah. relay to you right now before any more news comes out. 
What if he had said that on July 22nd? There's only like all of the data about how propaganda works says one thing. You can't fight it by denying uh, the message that's just come out. You have to predict it. You have to discredit the stolen information before it reaches the public. The intelligence community can do that. It's hugely important. So that's the only way to actually fight this. And that's not what happened in 2016. Right. Um, People say Obama didn't do it because he didn't want to give the impression that he was siding with Hillary. Right. Um, but it was a it was a vital national security threat, yeah. which uh, basically we uh, uh, allowed to happen without doing anything about it. It's fascinating stuff. It's scary stuff, Patrick. Damn, I yeah. wish I felt better about it, but I don't. <laughs> uh, but thank you for your excellent reporting on it. And hey, thanks. Your time this morning too. Thanks. Follow Patrick, um, Kevin Barron, and all the other good guys over at uh, Men and Women at uh, Defense One, Defense One dot com. Tax cuts. Today's the day. The House is scheduled to vote on its bill. Looks like they might have the votes. We'll find out from Aaron Lorenzo from Politico joining us next here on the Bill Press Show. Big news day. Stay with us. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And on this Thursday, November 16, uh, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Joining you coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. And, of course, out in the uh, greater Chicago area on WCPT. Good to have you with us. Look forward to hearing from you what you think about all the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter uh, at any time, uh, at BP Show. Hey, what the hell? Donald Trump is already tweeting this morning. You can as well, uh, and we invite you to uh, to give you a chance to sound off about the uh, news of the day. Uh, and, um, you know, I think you've um, seen, uh, those of you who are watching, regular watchers either on Free Speech or YouTube, uh, purple is one of my favorite colors. I'm wearing purple again today in the form of a beautiful hand-woven scarf, rayon chenille, uh, a uh, hand-woven scarf by my wife, Carol. This time of the year when it gets cold, we always tell you uh, about uh, Carol's scarves. They're either rayon chenille or bamboo. The beautiful, lots of colors, lots of different patterns to choose from. Uh, the way to find out and get one of these for yourself or someone you love. This holiday season, after all, go to uh, our website, billpressshow.com. Follow the link to uh, Carol Press Scarves, and you are in business. And the house is in business today. Uh, taking up, finally, uh, the so-called tax reform, which is really a tax cut bill. Looks like there'll be a big vote in the House today. Uh, Aaron Lorenzo is the uh, tax reporter. This is his time uh, for Politico. Uh, kind enough to join us in stew there this morning. Hey, Aaron, good to see you. Good morning, Bill. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming me. in. Uh, so the vote today, finally, in the House, right? That's right. Uh, vote in a few hours, it looks like. This, do they have any – how many hearings have they held on this bill? The actual bill, no hearings. And that's been a big complaint from the Democratic side. I'm sure you have heard and seen uh, those kind of comments. So this this bill, which does impact, like, the entire economy, correct? That is a fair assessment. Right. Uh, <laughs> isn't there a procedure that says – is there something called – regular order where um, they have to have, there's a certain number of days they have to put the bill out and there's a certain number of hearings they have to have? No? Well, I, I think uh, 
if you want to get very technical, the Republicans who are in charge of things will certainly tell you they're following regular order. They'll tell you they've had years worth of hearings on taxes and tax reform ideas. A lot of the ideas stuffed into the bill they have considered. Yeah. At various times in various places. That's right. Yeah. And that's true of the Senate side, too. It's the the same uh, back and forth between the Democrats and the Republicans on regular order. Okay. Now, uh, I'm, let's say, um, for our viewers, our listeners, we're, um, I make less than $100,000 a year, right? Okay. What's in this bill for me? Well, they'll tell you that things are going to be a lot easier when it comes time to file your taxes. Uh, and on average, you'll probably pay less in federal taxes at the end, although they can't guarantee that for every single say, person. They'll tell you that, but I'm asking, what's the what's the truth? What's the reality? Well, the, the reality is it's different for every single person. We all have pretty different circumstances. Right. So the blanket approach, frankly, doesn't apply to everybody. Okay. But uh, is it, tr- f- first of all, what, what do we do? We do know that the corporate tax cut. Corporate tax rates cut from 35 to 20, right? Right. Okay. Um, Tax cut for people in the top 1%? Yes. Permanent? It is. It is permanent. It it depends on, you know, how much of a cut depends on how your income is derived. Right. Whether it's a regular salary like you might get for your radio show versus investments maybe you have. So all of those things get taxed at different rates still. So what tax cuts do middle-class people that now, tax breaks that middle-class people may now enjoy, uh, the things that they could write off that are gone in this in this bill? Gone, right. So a lot of itemizing wouldn't happen going forward if this bill becomes law, partly because, or maybe in large part, because the standard deduction that most tax, tax filers uh, take would go a- almost double, not quite. Uh, so for married couples, I think it goes into you know around $24,000 a year. So if you write off your mortgage interest, if you live in a place with state income tax, you usually add those things together. Right. Uh, you might add up to fifteen or twenty k on itemized things. You might have some medical expenses that you add in there. If your threshold or if all those things you added up to last year or this year going forward come in below 24000 well, maybe you come out ahead because the new standard deduction is much higher than it used to be, and you don't have to save all of that paperwork or things of that nature. It's it's a that you know they claim that it's a cleaner, simpler system, and it's going to be a lot easier on you. Right, but on the other hand, um, uh, so let's let's uh, for medical expenses, right? No longer deductible. That's right. Uh, student loan interest on student loans. Right, there's other college things too. If you're a grad student who is paid by your you, you know, say you're a research grad student yeah. and you get paid a stipend by your university, and right now that stipend doesn't count as taxable income. Well, it would going forward. It, so, would, it would going forward. Right. Um, how about you mentioned a mortgage, a mortgage, uh, interest on your home mortgage up to? Up to half a million dollars on the House side. Now, it's different on the Senate. The Senate mm-hmm. keeps that limit where it is right now, which is a million dollars in, in mortgage loan. Right. The interest up to a million dollars. So we don't know how that's going to play out. Right. And then the big one is what they call the was it soda. Is that <laughs> what? salt? Salt. Salt. That's right. Salt. I didn't know. It. Yeah, that's the acronym. Uh, yeah. Too much of one of those things will kill you. Soda uh, exactly. Salt. I wasn't sure which one it was. So the state and local tax deduction. Right. So that 
mostly goes away on the House side, totally goes away on the Senate side. The House uh, compromise is to let taxpayers continue to be able to write off their property taxes up to $10,000. Now, that doesn't apply to everyone around the country because not everyone has property taxes that are that noticeable. But there certainly are some high-cost areas with very high property taxes, states like New York, New Jersey, California, yeah. uh, Washington, D.C. has high property taxes. Right. Uh, and uh, and that, that, that I know. I mean, we've taken advantage of that the whole time we've been filing tax returns, right? right? And most, peop- most people do, I right. believe. So um, what is the justification in the Senate? Uh, my understanding is that the, and we just t- talked a little bit about it, so the cut to corporate tax rate, that's a permanent cut. Now, this is going to provide so many tax breaks, they say, for the middle class, and yet those middle class tax cuts expire in 2023? It's an eight-year runway, I think, yes. Eight-year runway, right. So Maybe it's 25. I, uh, it's either it's 23 temporary. or 25. It's only temporary, right? Right. So, I mean, they really sell this as this is great for the middle class, but only temporarily. Well, it's great for the corporations and the very wealthy, permanent. Right. So the That's a tough sell, it seemed to me. It is a tough sell, although yesterday they put the challenge to Democrats and said, well, you all can vote to make these permanent down the road. And that's the gamble they're taking. Right. They can oh, oh, yeah, right. Make the budget math work right now for the corporate rate cut. Right. And do what they need to do the individual cut, get people used to it, and then pressure. And then promise them that 10 years down the road, whoever's in Congress at that time will have no choice but to continue these. And you can trust politicians 10 years from now to do the right thing. That's the gamble. And they're also- Again, I find that a tough sell. They're asking you to trust the president too. Uh, President Bush in 2001 and 2003 moved through Congress some- individual tax cuts, and right. largely, we, uh, the general population still pays rates at those those rates because they were temporary at the time, and in, uh, what do no. we call it, that New Year's Eve, the fiscal cliff? Yeah. Those no. were largely made permanent. I, I remember that that uh, that play when, when he made it. Uh, then come we come to the Senate, and the Senate says, oh, here's an idea. We failed three times to repeal Obamacare. So let's put part of that into the tax bill. Does uh, adding the getting rid of the individual mandate as part of the Affordable Care Act, does that kill the Senate tax bill? As of now, no, because I believe it's still in there. So yeah, right. But, I mean, does that mean the bill will be able to get passed, With do you think? It looked like, as of yesterday, uh, when, I, when I left the building and went home for dinner— right. Uh, that there's probably only one definite Senate holdout on the Republican side. They can afford to lose two. So as of last evening, it looked like it was just Senator Collins of Maine was the question mark in the past. She's been vocal. Well, Rob Rob Johnson of Wisconsin said he can't vote for it in its present form. And that was over another issue. That's over Uh, taxing businesses. Yeah. So I, I guess I was getting to... From what I've seen, Rob Johnson, Bob Corker, Susan Collins, for maybe various reasons, have said they're not a yes vote like today, right? Right. It doesn't seem like they're a guarantee. So do you, do they end up having to take out that individual mandate repeal that they put in the last two days to get Collins back on their side? 
because maybe you're losing Johnson over businesses. Maybe you're losing Corker over budget concerns. Right. There are certainly other Republican members of the Senate who have some budget question marks. They aren't very keen on this temporary idea. So you cover this every day. This has been your bread and butter uh, watching this tax cut bill. Um, with the differences between the House bill, the Senate bill, with some senators we know in the, t- in the margin, like it was for the repeal of Obamacare, is so tight in the Senate. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think the chances are that before the end of the year, which they say they need this big legislative win to have something to go before voters in 2018, what do you think the chances are they're going to get a bill out into the president's desk? I think it's a pretty strong chance that you'll see some sort of tax cut legislation, whether it's what we're discussing in its current form, even though there's some some differences between the House and Senate, whether it's that massive package blended together or it's a straight tax cut package, I think you'll see something because the political pressure on them, on the Republican Party, to show that they have delivered on one of their campaign promises and getting a Republican elected to the White House is mounting and pretty great. And a lot of them are talking quite regularly about how they'll pay a price at the polls a year from now if they don't get this done. If they don't have a bill. That's right. Yeah. Um, I personally think they'll pay a price if they have this bill that they're talking about, but uh, that's uh, that's to be seen. And, of course, then we also have that little messy thing called an Alabama Senate race, which which may which may have an impact too. That uh, you know changes daily. It's uh, <laughs> qu- quite a uh, having it, quite a ripple effect. It does. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for coming in, bringing us up to date on this. It's Politico. You know, we often have guests in from Politico, and you can follow their great work. I check them out two or three times a day to find out what's going on at Politico. Uh, dot com and the, the big the big vote is today. So we'll let you uh, get back to work. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks a lot, Bill. All right. And there is, as we said, uh, other news, including that messy Senate race down in uh, Alabama, which gets messier and messier every day, Uh, particularly um, uh, yesterday, where yet four more women uh, have come forward uh, with accusations of uh, sexual abuse, sexual assault in one case for sure, against uh, Alabama Senate candidate. Yes, he's still the Senate candidate, Roy Moore. By the way, if you thought the Alabama Republicans were going to take any uh, action, uh, forget about that. The uh, executive group, the steering committee or whatever, met last night, an emergency session to find out what they were going to do about Roy Moore. uh, And, yeah, they did nothing. They walked out without doing anything, not taking any action. They're standing by uh, their man. Um, These four women yesterday who came out, I mean, read the stories, really creepy stories, as if the earlier ones weren't enough. The guy signing this girl's high school yearbook. Um, uh, One of them said that uh, she actually uh, was uh, a high school student, and Roy Moore meets her, and he asks her out, and she says, do you know how old I am? And he says something like, yeah, but, you know, that's I like dating younger girls, right? Uh, and he says, so where do you go to school? She said, I'm in high school. Where do you go to school? So the next day, she's in trigonometry class, and somebody from the principal's office comes to the door uh, and asks for her and say, interrupts the class, asks for her and says, you have an important phone call in the principal's office. She goes down to the office, picks up the phone, and he says, hi, this is Roy Moore. I mean, can you imagine? God, creepy thing. And uh, another woman who said she was a she worked as a teenager was working at this mall where this 
sleazy guy would hang out at the mall hitting up on young women, kept tracing, following her around and trying to talk to her and corner her. And she finally complained to the management of the mall about this this guy. And then the manager of the mall said, don't worry, we have banned him from the Gaston, uh, Alabama shopping mall. Would you, you're banned from the local shopping mall, man. You are one sick dude. Right? I, I've, I've actually been in, I haven't been in that particular mall, but I've been in some shopping malls in Alabama, and I've seen some pretty egregious offenses to humanity. To actually get banned from a mall in Alabama, that's I mean, bad. I, so that's a low. Okay, you want to know whether, who's telling the truth, these women or Roy Moore? The fact that he's banned from the local shopping mall to me is all the evidence you need. Sure. It's yeah. all you need. That's it. That's That says it all. So, you know, the defenders of Roy Moore, and there are fewer and fewer of them, by the way. I mean, even Sean Hannity now is backed off. Rush Limbaugh is backing off. Uh, Matt Dredge, the Dredge Report, is gone. You know, they had their headline yesterday was Judge Whore, not Judge Moore. Uh, uh, and um, so the only one really left is Steve Bannon. Um, and and th- this could be the end of Steve Bannon really could because his whole thing, remember, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get non-establishment candidates, we're going to run against the establishment, and we're going to beat Mitch McConnell, we're going to drive them all out, and his first one up, (laughs) obviously did a lot of vetting in this case, his first one up is Roy Moore, and he's going to go down with the ship. I mean, right now to this point, Breitbart is the, well, hmm, Forget most of the people on Fox News. Still Fox and Friends, they were defending him this morning. But Breitbart's the only website out there that's really 100, pardon me, 100% in Roy Moore's corner. Um, and um, and then you also have, of course, the attorneys that Roy Moore is paying. They're not too bright either. One of them, uh, the guy's name, I had it down here, is... Trent Garman. Trent Garman, yes, so he goes on MSNBC yesterday, and before he goes on, he's trying to find a way he can justify Roy Moore hitting on teenage girls, or worse. Uh, and so he's being interviewed by uh, Ali Velshi and Stephanie Rule, and he says, well, Ali, you, of all people, should understand. Culturally speaking, obviously there's differences. Looked up. Uh, Allie's background there, wow, that's awesome that you have got a <laughs> such a diverse background. It's really cool to read through that. But point is this. What does you know, Allie's culture background has a, have to do with dating a 14-year-old? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not finished with the context of it. Well, please answer. <laughs> what, is Allie's, is what does Allie Velshi's background have to do with dating under children, 14-year-old girls? Sure. In other in other countries, there's arrangement through parents for what we would refer Allie's to as consensual marriage. So, <laughs> Allie's from Canada. I understand that. And Al- Allie's also spent time in other countries, so of which I. I've gone to. So it's not a bad thing. I, I, don't, so I don't know where you're going with this, Trent. It's so good. It's, <laughs> it's so, so good. good. Yeah. It's so good. Allie's from Canada, right? Is that from Bangladesh? Or, I mean, I got He thinks that uh-huh. Allie Velshi... It yeah. comes from a country where there are child brides, and yeah. that's his—that's Roy Moore's lawyer defending his yeah. actions. Right, right. Like there, there's so much wrong with that clip. Right. This is the same attorney yesterday who said, uh, who who uh, 
uh, went after the uh, the the woman Beverly Young, forget her last name, that um, that Gloria Allred is representing, uh, and um, she's the one who has the yearbook signed by Roy Moore. <laughs> Pardon me. And uh, so he said they want to submit that yearbook to a uh, a certified handwriting expert. You know what? Bring it on, baby. Oh yeah, I, I, I'll pay for that, right? I, right now, I'll pay. I, I'll pay a thousand dollars for that guy to look at that yearbook. You know damn well he compares that. That and and the New York Times has already looked at other copies of his handwriting and said clearly it's the same guy who wrote this. I I, I I'll bet you any handwriting expert will say yep. Bingo, Roy Moore. First of all, three out of four citizens of Alabama can't write a complete sentence. So that rules out most of the population of Alabama. <laughs> so we'll see if it's actually Roy Moore. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, of course, he was district attorney. Well, that doesn't mean that much either, does no, it? No, it doesn't. No, right. Uh, but what's, uh, what, what that means is Republicans are facing fewer and fewer options. We've talked about them before, but the more time that goes by... Uh, the fewer options they have. Uh, right now, I think there are uh, maybe three of them. Uh, one is that they delay the election and then run a write-in campaign. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.